The Start. On Demand. On Demand. The Canada Day long weekend is here, and as we head into the weekend, we're wondering, what's your favorite Canadian TV show? The Illicit Drug Task Force report was released while we were on the air. We spoke to a member of the Brandon Bear Clan, a woman whose son has struggled with meth in the past, and a young Winnipeg man who gave his life protecting his grandmother during a home invasion is being recognized by Booth University College, who will present his family with an honorary college diploma. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb, who's away on vacation for a little while. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, and this is the Friday, June 28th podcast for The Start. Mackling and McGarry McNabb is... She did it. She checked out. <laughs> Pulled the pin. She said yesterday she'd already checked out. She was drifting, daydreaming, texting her sister. Hey, what are we doing this weekend? And she did indeed. Let's start the weekend now. Yeah. She so. started at, at about 1.30 yesterday afternoon. So, Loren, enjoy the long weekend. I think she's off all next week as well. So, see you in a little bit. Correct. I, I think I'll see Loren in August next. Yeah. Between all the different holidays that are going on around here. Well, yeah, the the, the game of uh, musical chairs now begins because McNabb's off next week. You are off the week after that, from the 8th to the 12th. Yes. I'm off from the 15th to the 19th. <laughs> yes. And then is it McNabb who's gone again the last yes. two weeks of July? Yeah, sounds about right. And then I'm off the first week of August from the 5th to the 9th. And then I think she's gone. Where, do you have another week of holidays? Not till the end of August. End of August? Yeah. Is it the 19th or the 23rd? No, like the very last week leading into the September long weekend. Oh, so we might all be together the 19th to the 23rd. Yay, hallelujah. Perhaps. Hip, hip, hooray, hurrah. Love your t-shirt this morning, by the way. Middle mm. Province? That's a great brand. Yeah, from uh, North Flag. Yeah, I've got the, the hat. I haven't worn the hat in a while. I need to pull that out. The hat collection is getting out of hand. And when we had the guys in uh, last week... Uh, from the, the Valor FC chant guys, the Red River Rising. Yep. Uh, one of them had a sweet Valor hat, so I want to get one of those. Of and course. You had did. I gone to the Bomber game last night, I would have picked up a new Bomber hat. And They've I feel got a lot of great lids, man. Well, I went there last year uh, for, a, I was at the Bomber store on location, and I looked for a hat, but I just couldn't quite find the right one, so I'm hoping they've got uh, some new stuff this year. But yeah, I say, had I gone, and I... Uh, regret that I did not go because the Bombers were gracious enough to provide us with tickets and I wanted badly to go, but I was just, I I got home at like two o'clock and I had uh, some things to do, fell asleep and woke up at like five and said, I, I'm not, uh, I, I'm too tired. That's a collective sigh of relief from Blue Bomber fans. The first time since 2014 that the Blue Bombers win as home opener. So the Bombers now 2-0, and a 28-21 victory. Very unorthodox victory. As Bob Irving would say, it wasn't a Picasso, but they don't ask how, they ask how many, and that's two wins in two games. And Brett, I know we were sort of, Doug Brown planted the seed, said the Bombers haven't yet to lose this year, if you include the two preseason games. So a winning feeling is starting to grip the Blue Bombers, an aura of invincibility might be a step too far, but 
They did manage to score four touchdowns last night. They fought off a couple Andrew Harris fumbles, one at the end of the first half, one at the end of the game that made the game at the very end far more interesting than it really needed to be. Whoops. So there'll be uh, over 25,000 left IG Field last night in a very good mood and a great way to start the Canada Day long weekend. How important was it for the football club and the fan base for the Bombers to have won last night's game because, and I asked that question because would there have been a danger of apathy setting in early had the Bombers lost last night? I don't know about apathy, Brett, but it was important in the in the respect that we discussed with Bob Irving yesterday, and the idea that had the Bombers lost and Edmonton won. The Eskimos would have been three and zero, and the Bombers would have been one and one. And then you're behind the eight ball the entire year, trying to catch up to the front runners in your division. And the Blue Bombers really want to finish in first place this year and host that Western final at IG Field. And last night was a huge step in making that a reality. I know it's only the second game, but you've got to beat your divisional opponents. Now they've got the leg up in the season series with Edmonton in terms of tiebreakers, etc. And uh, they're starting to already to put some distance between themselves and the other teams in the West. So we'll see how Saskatchewan does over the weekend and uh, Calgary as well. Well, I am looking forward to the to eventually getting down to IG Field uh, because the just to have another nacho dog, man. Those, those hot dogs, that nacho dog was sensational. There, there were lots of hot dogs uh, flying out of the concessions as I made my way. I sat in the stands uh, for the third quarter last night, and uh, yeah, a lot of great food. People having a really good time last night. Josh just texted us at seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight. Disappointed it wasn't a sellout last night. Hey, Josh, uh, I agree with you. But I think as the Blue Bombers build momentum, it equals trust with the fans. I think there are still a core of Blue Bomber fans that have been holding on, looking for a reason to get back on the bandwagon. And this win goes a long way in uh, maybe earning that trust and inviting fans back to the stadium. Because it's no secret how long it's been since the Blue Bombers won a Grey Cup. And I just pointed out that it's the first time since 2014 that they won a home open. And in at least three of those cases of those losses since uh, 2015, 16, 17, 18, there was reason for optimism heading into the season. We got a text message yesterday morning at 6.14 a.m. from Tim saying, any reports of what happened at 3 a.m. today, so yesterday on Highway 1 by Portage? Well, here's the story. Police say it was a scene unlike anything they've ever witnessed. A dramatic high-speed chase involving a stolen police car resulted in all hands on deck early yesterday morning. We did get some text messages from listeners, other text messages asking about a whole bunch of cop cars going towards Headingley. Well, the chase started in Winnipeg, continued to the Shell Station in Headingley, and carried on down Highway 1. Global's Abigail Turner has the details on this bizarre story. Police were notified of a stolen vehicle in the north end of the city at around 2.30 in the morning. With the help of the police chopper Air One, officers tracked the car to Headingley's Flying J gas station. But the chase didn't end there. Police say once officers arrived, they saw two suspects carjacking a nearby vehicle. While police were working to arrest one of the suspects, a second suspect managed to circle around to the empty police cruiser and take off. If I think somebody's in danger over there and I jump out of my car, 
Um, I don't think the person over there whose life is at risk wants for me to wait and make sure I stop the car and pull the keys out. I'm going to get out to save someone's life. That's the kind of scenario we were dealing with. Police say the situation escalated quickly, and with the help of RCMP, a high-speed chase began west on Highway 1 for 10 kilometers. Chopper Air 1 was tracking the chase from above, but because the helicopter was running low on fuel, the pilot was forced to land in a nearby field. Officers continued the pursuit to Portage La Prairie, where they won't say how, but that they managed to arrest a suspect. But while all eyes were on the police chase, over 300 people were left waiting for officers to respond for calls for service in Winnipeg. 911, what's the location of the emergency? Police are now catching up on the logjam. The speed with which this unfolded, the amount of police resources that were required, I can say that, in, uh, that I've never actually seen anything like it. We were talking about it this morning. I think everyone in, uh, in the police service is stunned uh, at, at how this unfolded. Now, police are answering those calls in a priority basis, saying this isn't a typical situation. Police aren't releasing any more information about the suspects as of now, but say they are in police custody. Right now, we want to start this half hour by getting serious. The headline at globalnews.ca earlier this week, Manitoba Task Force looking into meth and other drugs to release report this week. Yeah, more than six months after the illicit drug task force was announced, we are anticipating, well, today's the end of the week, so we're anticipating that we will get that report today. Michael Jack, the city's chief corporate services officer, told reporters earlier this week the goal is to release the report before Friday. Well... Didn't happen before Friday. Jack says the 30-plus page report indicates or includes, rather, categories of prevention and education, treatment and law enforcement. The tri-level task force involves uh, provincial, federal, and municipal leaders working together to respond to the rapid increase in meth use and distribution across our province. Jack did not reveal how many recommendations are in the report, but did say there would be more than 10 and fewer than 50. So we are joined now live on 680 CJOB by Kim Longstreet, who is a member of the Brandon Bear Clan, but also is a mom of a son who has struggled with meth. Kim, thank you very much for joining us this morning. Good day to you. Good morning. Yeah, thank you. So your son, why don't we start there? Your son has struggled with meth. What can you tell us about that? Well, um, he has struggled, but I am pleased to say that um, due to, you know, the advocacy that I do and um, the recommendations that I continuously seek, he's, he's actually in a good way right now. And um, it's taken us a bit to get there, but... Um, I, I'm I'm pleased to to just just share that with you. Well, Kim, it would be and congratulations, uh, and that's a fantastic news. It would be easy for folks that deal with these sorts of things on a personal basis to keep it to themselves, to deal with it on their own, uh, not seek any. Well, first of all, seek any help, but certainly not to talk about it in the public. Uh, in terms of this report, a thirty-page report. Uh, the recommendations, more than 10, less than 50. What are you hoping to see? Well, I I, I sense um, just from what I'm hearing and um, seeing on, on social media that the things that m- myself and many other people who have lived experience who have been advocating to the government 
I believe are actually going to come out in this report. Uh, the things like the medical um, withdrawal, detox, long-term programming. Um, I think what's, what's happening is there, there's, a, there's that thought of getting more of a coordinated approach. And coordinated meaning we got it, we got to close the gaps. We got to not allow people to fall through. Um, we need a continuum of service, which is extremely important. You can't have somebody doing the process and then halting them, saying, well, you can't go here right now, and, and the chance of relapse is immense when they do that. So I, I'm anticipating, um, you know, this talk about a 24-hour service, more um, collaboration amongst agencies, uh, tightening that up so that people are not falling, falling through, through the cracks, which you know, is basically what started my whole advocacy in the first place. You mentioned you hope to see a medical withdrawal uh, detox. Why Why would there a medical component? I mean, I have an idea, but why don't you tell us why do you think a medical component to that detox is important? Well, uh, for somebody, and I'm going to speak specifically to meth, um, somebody who is, um, you know, detoxing or, or coming through that uh, process, should have medical attention and should have uh, people who could assist if something was going wrong while they were uh, doing their withdrawal. So that is a that is an important component. Um, the, the medical also leads into better assessment. You know, if you're having somebody there, they can actually do diagnosis at the time of, you know, if there's mental health issues and things like that. So the, the people are... Um, when you have those medical assessments, you're you're ready to meet people where they're at. Versus, if you don't have that withdrawal piece, and if it if it's not done properly, uh, people could be sent on their way, and and we're still not fully and completely understanding what the services are that they need. Kim, there are a lot of folks out there uh, that agree that this is a public health issue versus a criminal one. In the minute or minute and a half that we have last year, here uh, left here, convince us that it's a health issue versus a criminal issue. Well, the any any addiction is actually a health issue because when you when an addiction takes over your life and you can think about doing nothing other than that. It, it starts to wear down your ability to work, to, um, you know, have a family and do all the things that you need to do in life. So having, we're not going to be able to arrest ourselves out of the situation we're in. We have to start looking at what is, what is propelling people towards their addiction. And if we're honest with ourselves, there's some mental health component, component in there, which then leads into that, that whole discussion around uh, the stigma that comes with, you know, the mental health and the reason why people stay to themselves and why they start doing crime and why they start doing all these other things. So it goes much, much deeper than those two categories. And I think as a society, we need to start really, you know, focusing in on what addiction is and and why people do it. You know, um, I, I, personally feel that technology at this point is a, is probably, you know, in line with uh, one of the, some of the other addictions that we see out there. So I think we just, we really need to, as people, start looking at what addiction is and why we do it and, and remove the stigma that comes with it. 
Kim Longstreet is a member of the Brandon Bear Clan, joining us live on 680 CJOB as we hope to see the report today for the Illicit Drug Task Force. Kim, thank you very much for joining us today. We appreciate this. Thank you. Mackling and McGarry McNabb is on vacation, Canada Day, long weekend, and we wanted to take some time here to talk about all the great things that we love about Canada, including TV shows. And we should point out that there's the most, probably the highest profile Canadian show right now is a CBC show called Shit's Creek. Darling, I must sign off. Well, spoken, John. That's goodbye in the mother tongue. Okay, well, I'll sign off too, sweetheart. Lots to do, but uh, wishing you an exciting. Okay, yep. Miss you, too. She already hung up. Burn, Dad. Oh, God, that's so embarrassing. You must feel ridiculous. So, at the MTV Movie and TV Awards on Saturday, June 15th, Dan Levy who stars and co-created this series, Shit's Creek, won Best Comedic Performance. There's a campaign to get some Emmy love for this show. Uh, its fifth season is airing. They're filming their sixth and final season. It airs on Pop TV in the U.S., but I guess previous seasons are available on Netflix, and it's exploded in popularity. So we can have a chat now about our favorite shows. It's interesting you mention Shit's Creek, because I think people texting it in just want us to hear us say it on the air. But Keith Urban <laughs> tweeted out last night that he's discovered this show. He says he's never, ever watched two seasons of any show and is binge-watching it right now and absolutely loves it. His really? wife stars in two seasons of a television show, so he should get on that. <laughs> 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 so, let's go around the horn, our favorite Canadian television shows. Uh, Greg, why don't we start with you, because one of our listeners has made the same selection. Yeah, why don't we just press play... Uh, Oh, I press this button here. I can press play on this right now. There you go, Mike. Mike Mascal, one of our very loyal listeners. That is... Little House on the Prairie? Nope. Little House Tobo. Anna Green Gables? Listen. How did you know? Just sit down and start eating. Joe. Joe. No idea. Something for you. Gee, sure is a beauty, eh? Bojack. Sure is a beauty, eh? That is from The Forest Rangers, a show that started and ended before I I was born. It aired from 1963 to 1966. What was it about? A bunch of kids who lived in the middle of the forest in northwest Ontario. No adults? uh, One adult. No. Kind of... You know, Weird. looking back on it, <laughs> all sorts of questions. Uh, but it was a show that I lived to watch, uh, lived to watch uh, when I was a kid. So that's for you as well, Mike. Braun? Uh, I haven't watched it in a while, but the first few seasons of my show uh, really made me laugh a lot. Rosh, you're coming to the Metro Center. Oh, no yes. No way. Yes, sir, Eva. That's awesome. Your favorite band. I know. I need you to go down there and get in line and get me a ticket. They're going to sell out, Ricky. This is all the money I have right here. Just enough for one ticket. Okay. Can you do that for me, please? Yeah, calm down. It's not like it's Helix or something. 
Cam, you knew the line. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Trailer Park Boys, of course. <laughs> That's classic. Helix of all the bands for Ricky to attach himself to. It has to be Helix. Oh, that's classic Ricky. That's also the only 20 seconds of that show I could find that didn't need a bunch of bleeps in it. Yeah. And I'm with you with that because I loved... It took me a while to get on board with that. I remember the first time I turned on the Trailer Park Boys. I didn't understand yeah, yeah. the format and I thought, is this supposed to be real? That's no. what I thought. The first few times just... I'd see like five seconds. I was like, is this an actual documentary? Like, who would watch these guys? You know, and then I was like, oh, wait, this is fake. And then once I, <laughs> then once awesome. I got it, yeah, once I got yeah. it, I really got it. And it's quite a brilliant show. Amazing editing. The timing of the editing, like it's a very well-made show. But I never got back into it when it was resurrected on Netflix. So I have, I don't know how many seasons I need to catch. Oh, it's yeah. still going on. And uh, I prefer the earlier episodes than the newer ones for sure. Oh, yeah, 100%. But I feel like Most I shows need to just, you know. Stop after six or seven. Yeah, well, and, perfect. And, and that show played very well south of the border. I had guys that I worked with in the, in Philadelphia, and they were addicted to that show. They <laughs> actually actually uh, loved and and uh, made sure that they tracked down every single episode. So my, my dad had a I had a friend, and uh, she's from Kentucky, and she was up here with her husband visiting, and and he goes, oh, I saw that show, Trailer Park Boys. Man, that's something <laughs> funny. <laughs> <laughs> What's your uh, show there, Cam? Oh, uh, well, actually, well, well me, me and Cam have the same one here. Uh, really? I, I, yeah. I, got, I have the theme song, so I'll just you know, I'll play the theme song. Okay, but so you, you play, play the, the clip. So, okay, here we go. I'm not doing the humiliation. I told if you, you think are. I'm, yeah, you are. You want to bet? You, you want to bet a thousand bucks I'm doing the humiliation? Yeah. No. Yeah, I'm not. I don't gamble. Do you know how many humiliations I have done that I found out later that I didn't have to do because he actually lost the competition or not? Rageously not. cheated. Not. Oh, my God. Not. That is my favorite show of all time, Kenny vs. Spenny. I, it's like a show that I rewatch every year. I watch every episode. I love it. It What's gets the, it gets better every time you watch uh, an episode. For those unfam- or who are not familiar with Kenny versus Spenny, what is it? Uh, so it's basically these two guys from Toronto, and they just do competitions against each other, and uh, the show just goes off the rails, like Jackass style competitions. Exactly. Yeah. So it's uh, very crude. So yeah. Just a heads up here. Yeah, watch it. Yeah. So um, uh, yeah, and so basically, Spenny is kind of the neurotic character. Kenny kind of screws with him the whole time, and. Uh, it's there's just some episodes that are just they, again it gets better and better every time I watch it. Yeah, I remember the I think the one that sticks out for me is the one where they neither of them could speak. They had <laughs> who could go the longest without speaking. Yeah. First one to talk loses. Yeah, yeah. My, my my favorite is who can imitate the other person the best. And oh yeah, they kind of go after each other. And uh, yeah, it's just Spenny completely has a breakdown at the end, and he goes on he goes on like these these complete rants, and uh, they're just classic. So. Yeah, that's a good one. I'll have to check that out again. We're getting a lot of great suggestions oh here word. on text as well. Thank you very much. Because I mean, I, I when sometimes when you ask a question like this, I don't know how it works for you, but I get like I have too many things rattling around in my head, and I can't focus on any of them, so I, I forget everything. So we're, thank you for the kids in the hall. We're getting letter Kenny. Somebody may, saying I love to watch Neon Rider. Yeah. Not, Oh, what yeah. is Neon Rider? I have no I re- idea. I vaguely recall seeing promos for that. I never watched it, though. Did you say Littlest Hobo? Cam did. Yeah. He suggested The Littlest Hobo. That's and a great he, one. People saying Corner Gas? Uh, no. Not yet. Uh, Letter Kenny. We've got in here the Beachcombers people are suggesting as well. So Beachcombers had coming. that wild opening sequence where the helicopter was flying over all the oh, logs. I got the I got the song queued up here if we what, what uh, about play it out. Night in Canada. Well, play it for 10 seconds cuz we got to do Cottage Country. 
It just sounds so quintessentially Canadian. <laughs> I forgot about this part. What's more Canadian, Greg, than the Canadian Football League? The Winnipeg Blue Bombers opening the home portion of their schedule last night. 1-0 coming into the game versus 2-0 Edmonton. Let's hear the sounds of the game with a little bit of ACDC underneath. Well, the Bombers are going to kick it off to start the game, and you can hear the noise already in IG Field. Ball on the right hash. Nichols under center again with Harris set behind him. And a handoff to Dembski on a little sweep. Dembski to the 40, back inside the 35. Dembski to 30. He's going wide now. He's got some room. The 25, the 20. Dembski to 15, the 10. He's to the 5 and pushed out of bounds. They'll mark him out at the Edmonton yard line. A brilliant bit of running by Nick Dembski. First and goal, Edmonton 7, Nichols. Hands off to Dembski again to the five. Dembski to the goal line. Touchdown, Blue Bombers. Nick Dembski with an inside run. And he has the first score at home this year. Nichols back to pass. Gets stopped. Wants Lucky Whitehead long down the right side. He's got him at the 40, the 30. Whitehead's away and he's gone for a touchdown. But there is a flag. Lucky Whitehead's in the end zone. There is a penalty flag. Will that wipe it out or not? Here's a hitch pass. Left side complete to Lucky Whitehead to the 35, the 30. Whitehead to 25, the 20. Back inside the 15, 10, 5. Lucky Whitehead, second touchdown of the game. So first and goal at the Edmonton 5. Ball in the right hash. Nichols under center. Lucky Whitehead, wide right, double tight ends in here. It looks Andrew Harris all the way. No, Nichols back to pass, and he throws to Harris. Touchdown, Blue Bombers. A brilliant play call and an easy pitch and catch touchdown. On the 45-yard line of the Blue Bombers. He hands it off to Harris. Andrew Harris fumbled. And who's got it at the Bomber 51-yard wow. line? Andrew Harris is livid with himself. He gained five or six yards, but he fumbled the ball, his second fumble of the game. Harris in the shotgun, right hash. Has the ball, blitz coming. Harris steps up against it, throws, but it's tipped away by Fenner. And Edmonton will turn it over again on downs. I don't see any flags. And the Bombers with 17 seconds left will win the game now. I think we can say that conclusively. The Winnipeg's 28-21 win over Edmonton. Mike, let's start with uh, beyond the win, what you liked tonight. Uh, resilience uh, coming out at halftime. You know, making sure we get a drive and score. Um, I thought we scored early, obviously, and, and into the wind uh, to start the game. But, um, you know, we let that, that first half get away with us. That seven minutes to go in the first half, we kind of made a lot of mistakes. And so they came in at halftime, and they just made a decision to come out and, and uh, change the way they were playing, and they did. Maybe uh, 
Matt, you should get the ball to that lucky whitehead a little more. He's pretty good. Yeah, he's not bad, huh? Uh, <laughs> we've been talking about him for a while now, and uh, he's just something that's, I mean, he's world class. There's not a lot of guys that can do what, what he does, and, um, you know, he had a big night for us tonight, obviously, and, you know, something where, you know, the little screen we threw him, you know, I think most guys are getting 12, 13 yards, getting pushed out of bounds. He's turning into 40 yard touchdowns. So um, that's that's just something you, you can't teach, and and something that you know, I've talked about many times. It's just another dynamic added to this offense that we, you know, probably haven't had before. Yeah, you had a big night, seven catches, 155 yards. Do you kind of feel like you you finally showed the fans up here in Canada what Lucky Whitehead can do? Definitely, I think. I think they was able to see my speed, you know, in the open field. Uh, I mean, it's, it's more to all that, you know, and big big shout out to my receivers that, uh, you know, made that second touchdown happen for sure. You know, it was a great play call in the first touchdown. And, uh, you know, just, just the execution all around the board was great. For the W, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers victorious over Edmonton last night to open the season at 2-0. and Undefeated if you count the preseason. Yeah. Yeah, haven't lost a game in 2019. They hope the trend will continue as they go to Ottawa next Friday to face the Red Blacks and their former backup quarterback, who's now the starter for the Red Blacks, Dominique Davis. Even though it's Canada Day long weekend, we're going to head south of the border in our next segment to talk about the Democratic debate with Jackson Prosco from Global after we check traffic and weather on the start. McGarry McNabb on vacation, the hilarious House of Frightenstein. One of the great suggestions from you at 204-780-6868 on your favorite Canadian TV show. And if you have more suggestions for great Canadian TV show theme songs, text those to us. Make sure it's a Canadian show. We're getting a lot of great theme song suggestions, but not necessarily Canadian. So let's keep it Canadian as we head into Canada Day, even though we are now going U.S. to the U.S. politics, which some might describe as the hilarious House of Frightenstein. Yeah, U.S. Senator Kamala Harris and former Vice President Joe Biden clashed last night at the Democratic primary debate when Harris attacked Biden over his lack of support early in his career for busing programs to integrate schools. Uh, The former uh, California senator and the former U.S. vice president went head to head on this and uh, Biden on the defensive during the Democratic debate, taking him to task on this record and his words about segregationist senators. uh, One of the highlights or one of the low lights, Jackson Prosco? Well, it was uh, an interesting moment. I think it was Kamala Harris's breakout moment. She, of course, is a former prosecutor, so you'd expect her to be able to take people to task like that. Uh, She also needed to break through because Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders have sort of had the polls all locked up. And while she's in the top tier of that, uh, of those candidates, I think she was really looking for a way to distinguish herself last night. Who else uh, was able to distinguish themselves last night, Jackson? 
Yeah, I think Pete Buttigieg as well. And I'm basing this, uh, you know, on the Google searches that followed. I think that's a good indicator of what people are interested in, who people are interested in. And Buttigieg and Harris really sort of skyrocketed last night after that debate. Jackson, uh, two nights of debates. Did the those that debated on the first night, are they the big losers in terms of the format here? Because uh, let's face it, uh, most people will be talking about what happened last night. Yeah, I mean, I think Elizabeth Warren, for example, was overshadowed by what happened last night. But frankly, had she been there, she may have been overshadowed by that Harris-Biden exchange anyway. Um, I think the takeaway, though, is that we are seven months away from the first primary, a year away from the nominating convention, 16 months until the general election. So much can change. This is really just about whittling down the number of candidates to a manageable amount so people can understand who they're interested in, understand who they want to support. How did Bernie Sanders do? You know what? Uh, the criticism of him this morning is that uh, you could have had a hologram of 2016 Bernie Sanders up there. Uh, in other words, same messaging, same speech as we've heard before. Uh, so he held his own in that sense. But did he offer anything new? Uh, not necessarily. And that's a risky proposition for Bernie Sanders, because uh, in this day and age, he is not the only person with the Bernie Sanders message. Elizabeth Warren is very much on the same page. You've got younger members of Congress like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. While she's not running for president, she has also taken up the Bernie Sanders mantra. So Bernie Sanders cannot claim exclusivity over his own ideas anymore. And that puts him perhaps in a tougher spot. It's an interesting situation we have here, Jackson, because I think to a certain extent, and we've only a brief period of time here, we're talking about trying to figure out which way the Democratic Party is going to go. The person they think is best for the job or the person they think is best for the job of beating Donald Trump. Yeah, and I think it's going to come down to that calculation of who is best to beat Donald Trump. And that might explain uh, the performance we saw from Kamala Harris last night. It was not so much about where does she stand on the specific issues. It's can you visualize her up on a debate stage going up against President Trump? And then can you visualize Joe Biden up against Donald Trump? And when you think about it in those terms, does that change the equation for Democratic voters? Global's Jackson Prosco joining us live on 680 CJOB. Jackson, thank you very much for this. Enjoy that long weekend. Greg, something rather special is happening in our community today. Yeah, well, it is, and it's in memory of Jamie Adow. He gave his life protecting his grandmother in a home invasion on March 3rd earlier this year. This senseless act of violence uh, cut short the life of this young man who did not get the opportunity to live out his dream of one day honoring his parents by taking over the family business. Jamie's plans were to go to Booth College and take a business degree. He would have graduated from Tech Voc High School on Thursday night. And Booth College is going to give and present to Jamie's parents an honorary uh, diploma in honor of their son. So we're joined now live on 680 CJOB by Terry Willerton, who is one of Jamie's teachers at TechVoc. Terry, thank you very much for joining us today. Oh, you're welcome. So when you learn that this honorary degree is going to be presented to Jamie's family today, uh, which is happening at uh, uh, Bakery on Shepherd Street at 1 o'clock. What was your reaction? I, I was quite very pleased uh, about that offer. Um, Jamie was a great young man. He had his whole life ahead of him. He wanted to go into the family business. He wanted to take over 
and look after his parents. And this is something he will not be able to do now. This is uh, so the tragic story on so many levels in our community, uh, Terry. But what a way to, to honour the entire family and to honour Jamie's memory. What do you remember most about Jamie as a student, Terry? Jamie was very quiet. He was one of those students that would just come into the classroom, into the bakery, and the first thing he would do is say, good morning, what do you want me to do? He was always willing to do whatever needed to be done. He was very congenial, very nice, polite. Never had, never raised his voice, nothing. He was just a good, all-around guy. Now, Terry, you mentioned he came into the bakery. Maybe for those that, uh, that might have been caught off guard with that statement from you, talk about the program Jamie was in at TechVoc. Uh, he was in the pastry arts program at TechVoc since grade nine. So this was his fourth year at TechVoc. And last night he was honored at our convocation with an honorary diploma, which was presented to his parents last night during the convocation service. Uh, the, the program is a complete uh, eight-credit course in pastry arts and baking, which will allow a student to go right on to uh, any bakery really in the city and continue on their, their goals and, and in baking. How emotional was it yesterday when uh, you presented this at the convocation? It was very emotional. Um, a lot of the students mentioned Jamie in their speeches um, his parents were there and a lot of his family members, so it was very gut-wrenching for all of us. Imelda and as uh, Jamie's uh, mom and uh, Jamie Senior, um, I'm getting uh, emotional just uh, thinking about this and the power that this and the effect that this has had on the school community. Maybe you could give us some insight uh, beyond just yesterday, how this affected the students at TechVoc, Terry. It's been very emotional roller coaster for students and staff and teachers and everyone that worked at the school. Um, we've never had anything that tragic happen at the school. I've been there for 18 years, and I'll tell you that Monday morning when his mother called me was the most tragic day of my teaching career. When you look at how prepared this young man was for his future, I mean, so many of us... Uh, like, even into my 30s, I was wondering, did I make the right decision? Like, I really have no idea where I'm going in life. Uh, that's how it feels sometimes. But this young man, as a teenager, knew that he wanted to take over the family business. He knew that he wanted to go to uh, take this business program. And then after that, go to Red River College to study culinary arts. Like, he yeah. was ready to take on life by the horns. He was. He was He was determined. He knew exactly what he wanted to do. And like any te teenager, he had his little moments of doubt, but it was always there that this was what he wanted to do, and he was going to succeed. Ter Terry, just a shout-out uh, to everyone uh, in the neighborhood. The West End is my former neighborhood. Uh, I graduated from Daniel Mac. Uh, TechVoc, obviously, our biggest rival, so to speak, but we have a lot in common. But just uh, maybe 30 seconds on the value of a vocational education for parents out there that are maybe unsure that that's the way their kids should go. Well, I, um, I took commercial baking from TechVoc 
in the 1970s, and it's been a 40-something year career for me, and I've never looked back on it. I went 25 years in industry and then started teaching 18 years ago. So it's, it's unbelievable how important vocational studies are to people. They are the, the feeders, they are the builders, the bricklayers, the everything of our society. And vocational education is so important. Backbone of our economy, I would argue. Terry Willerton, one of Jamie Adele's teachers at TechVoc, in fact, is lead instructor. Thank you for this, and uh, thank you for the honoring uh, Jamie on behalf of everyone in the city last night. Thank you. It's my privilege. Thank you very much. And once again, the honorary college diploma from the Booth University College Faculty of Business and Administrative Studies will be presented today at 1 o'clock at Jamel's Bakery at 660 Shepherd Street. Last hour, we told you that Booth University College is going to present an honorary college diploma for the Faculty of Business and Administrative Studies, to the family of Jamie Adao, young man who gave his life protecting his grandmother in a home invasion on March 3rd. That's going to happen today at 1 p.m. at Jamel's Bakery at 660 Shepherd Street. And this news release came from the office of Dr. Robert Falcon Willett, who joins us now live on 680 CJOB, Member of Parliament here in Winnipeg. Robert Falcon Willett, good morning to you, sir. Hey, good morning. How are you doing? We're doing really well. We're having a lot of fun today, but uh, also it's been tempered with, with some real emotional uh, stories about Jamie. We spoke to his instructor in the in the program that he was in at Tech Voc earlier this morning, and uh, Jamie Adow uh, continuing to have an impact. His story definitely resonating in our community today. Yeah, of course. Well, you know, everyone feels impacted by this because they could anyone could be at home, and then someone having a home invasion. Uh, fueled by meth and then snuffing out such a potential and, and such a life uh, that, you know, was by all means, uh, you know, he was an exemplary a young man. And I met, met with his parents on a number of occasions and, you know, and they are so deeply impacted by this. And I think it's the any parent's worst nightmare in, in the city. And this young man really, really wanted to go out and succeed in life, uh, you know, to become a baker, to become a business owner, uh, to support his family, to, you know, just to, you know, to be a good person in society. And instead of that, uh, now we have, uh, you know, it's unfortunate, uh, but, you know, now we have just his memory with us. Yeah, you know, you, 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 you talk about his parents, sorry, uh, Robert, didn't mean to interrupt you there, but you talk yeah. about his parents uh, from the Philippines and, and his grandmother and just, like, if you could write a, a document, prepare a document about how immigration is supposed to work or, or how it can work at its finest, this is the prototypical story here. This is, this is, this is what makes all of us yeah. go, th- this is Canada at its finest. Well, you come. They come here with very little. They were working in other countries. They had left some of their other children behind in the Philippines in order to support their family, and and then they had an opportunity of coming to Canada. They've built up a small business. You know, they were able to bring one of their children over, uh, Jamie, and uh, and then raise him, and look after him, and really care for him, and and raise him up in the way that they wanted to. And then, you know, that's stolen from them, and it's uh, you know it's such a loss. Um, and I think it's a loss for the whole community. 
but you know I'm really pleased with the Booth University College they were you know they you know my staff spent quite some time because this is one of the wishes of the family the mother Mel and uh, and also Jim the dad uh, you know that their son would receive a you know be recognized for this great individual that he was and so you know Booth University College stepped up um, after discussions with my office and they would said they would you know willingly and you know readily uh, um, you know, give an award, an honorary diploma uh, to uh, Jamie, you know, in his memory. And I think this is fantastic. And I think this is going to be just do something really for the family to offer a sense of uh, accomplishment and, you know, and, and a bit of closure, uh, even though they will soon have a trial that's coming up. Nonetheless, this is going to be the positive aspect for it that, uh, you know, Jamie, uh, you know, his dreams, even though he might not be there in physical form, he will be there in spirit, you know, having accomplished what he was setting out to do. Now, Robert, before we let you go, you were involved in the illicit drug task force. Are we going to see that report today? I believe it's uh, already out. Uh, it's already making its rounds. Apparently, uh, it uh, has uh, it's, uh, it's uh, been released. Oh, yes, that's right. We're just seeing that now on our newswire here that it, the recommendations from the Illicit Drug Task Force are out. And so what can you tell us about this report? Are you pleased with it? <laughs> well, I think, uh, you know, I'm a little underwhelmed uh, with the, uh, the report. Um, the federal government, we weren't the principal writers of this report. Uh, we were more on, on the back, uh, back end offering some technical advice. Um, at the House of Commons, we did do another report, uh, you know, that I was involved in, uh, in in a more extensive way. We wrote a report on meth across Canada. Uh, but this report, uh, you know, some of the issues that I think it faces, it, it lacks a bit more specificity. It doesn't actually give any um, or any demands of every level of government. So what what do we want from the province? What do we want from the city? And what do you need from the federal government? I know the federal government's ready and willing to come forward uh, but we need concrete a proposal, and that's kind of what I was hoping from the task force experts and obviously from the province. Um, you know, I'm kind of hoping, you know, I was looking forward to having, for instance, we know that there's huge addiction issues in, in the city of, in the province of Manitoba. Um, you know, how many hours extra do we need for the RAM clinic? How many extra beds do we need in detox? How many extra beds do we need in short and medium term treatment? And then how many do we need in long term treatment? And these are some really important questions that were left uh, unanswered. And it's, uh, you know, it's a little unfortunate because I think we had this opportunity. We actually had all three levels of government sitting down at the same table. I hope we can continue working together, uh, even though I'm offering some, you know, perhaps some, you know, criticism. <laughs> uh, but it's it's extremely important uh, to the people of Winnipeg Centre. It's extremely important to the people like the Adeos uh, and and others across the city who, um, you know, who have been impacted by this and who don't deserve to be impacted in such a way. Uh, Robert, one. We- uh, Sorry, yeah. Robert, we are full lot out of time. I got to let you go. I'm terribly sorry to interject like this, but Jeff Fortier, my producer, is going to have me on the gallows if I don't uh, get out of here. Robert Falcon Willette, Member of Parliament for Winnipeg Centre, joining us live on The Start. What show is this from, Greg Macklin? Dude, this has got to be a generational thing. I, I have no idea. Oh, you know the show. <laughs> 
All right, I'm young at heart. Raccoons, I think. The Raccoons, that's right. The closing theme. Lisa Laheed, run with us. Love this song. Lisa Laheed even knows the composer and the singer. Oh, yeah. Wow, I'm impressed. Yeah, I love that. Well, they had their, their sort of one-off shows. There was the Raccoons. I can't remember which one was the first one, but the Raccoons on Ice. Well, that one, I mean, if you haven't watched that, you should leave the country. Yeah, there was the Raccoons Christmas, I think, might have been the first one, actually, before they finally launched into their full-on regular show. But we're talking about Canadian TV shows that we like, and that's one of them that was suggested to us at 204-780-6868. So you can keep those suggestions coming. You can weigh in on Facebook. We've got a post up there with a whole bunch of comments. We've got a post up on our Instagram story. And if you have any suggestions for other Canadian theme songs you want to hear, keep those coming in as well. Yeah, we've been talking about this for several hours now, so apologies if you're not hearing some of the obvious shows on the list because uh, we've run through them already, but uh, everything from Littlest Hobo to SCTV, both iterations of Degrassi, King of Kensington, Kids in the Hall, Letterkenny, uh, Mr. Dressup and uh, the Winnipeg, uh, it's not even a trifecta. There's like four or five Winnipeg-produced shows here. Let's go, Archie and his friend Switchback Skittlebix, Fred Penner's Place. And uh, how about a poll from VPW, Public Television, the uh, Math with Marty. Math with Marty? Math with Marty. Oh, my God. I don't know that one. Uh, I'm trying to remember Marty's last name, but he you could call the hotline, and if you're having <laughs> trouble with your math, he would help you on the air. Nice. So it was uh, it was a tutoring television program on Channel 9, I guess it was, uh, cable access. And, uh, yeah, somebody sent that in. Neil says, did you play The Littlest Hobo? I think The Littlest Hobo is winning the day. If this were a competition for what's your favorite Canadian TV show, based on the feedback, it would be The Littlest Hobo. And maybe second, close second would be the King of Kensington so far. But keep them coming in, 204-780-6868. Franklin the Turtle. The theme song is performed by Bruce Coburn. Bruce Coburn. Yesterday, Fortier played Lovers in a Dangerous Time by the Bare Naked Ladies. Uh, but that is a remake of a Bruce Coburn song. Hard to pick between those two. Both such great uh, renditions. Bruce Coburn version is... Uh, it, it's one of those songs that if I'm flipping through the dial and it comes on... That's uh, that's where the, the, the flipping stops, because it's one of my favorite uh, Canadian tunes. Hey, you've been running with us all week for Red, White, and Boom! Archangel Fireworks wants to give you an $800 super ammo crate just in time for the Canada Day Long Weekend so you can put on the best fireworks party there is. We picked four qualifiers this week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and now it is time to talk to the winner. Hello there, is that Daryl? It is. Daryl, it's Brett McGarry and Greg Mackling from 680 CJOB. How are you, sir? Good, how are you? I'm doing okay. Did you happen to qualify for Red, White, and Boom? I did. Do you like fireworks? I love fireworks, and actually my brother and his wife own a rock garden campground in Richard, Manitoba, so they're having a display that's already been put on our purchase from Archangel. So this, if I won this morning, this will add nicely to that display. 
<laughs> you won, Daryl. Sounds like you <laughs> are going to uh, be the elixir, maybe the uh, cherry on the top of uh, their fireworks display. Congratulations. Thank you very much. So Thank the, you, CGOB and Archangel. This package that you say they, they already have purchased from Archangel, do you know if it was the super ammo crate, or are you just going to put theirs to shame? I'm hoping I put theirs to shame. <laughs> <laughs> we do, too. Maybe you can uh, get some video for us. We'd love to see it and uh, play it back, uh, if possible, uh, next week. For sure, my brother always shoots it. And like I say, now that I've won this this morning, anyone's welcome to come out to the campground. It's Rock Garden Campground in Richard, Manitoba. So it's only like 45-minute drive from Winnipeg, if that. Do you need a permit to set these fireworks off? No, because it's out of the city of Winnipeg. I actually, when I qualified, I asked him about this, and uh, he said no because it's out of the city. We don't need a permit, Daryl. Right on. Well, hey, Daryl, congratulations, and make sure you have a happy Canada Day courtesy of Archangel Fireworks. Awesome. Daryl Flamond, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you very much for participating in Red, White, and Boom. Enjoy the show. $800. You can get like a great box of fireworks for 100 bucks, but I, for $800? This is why I asked for video evidence. I want to see what this does. And of course, Archangel isn't only like a Winnipeg institution. They're world famous. They are some of the best pyrotechnicians on the planet. They win competitions all over the world. We're very lucky to have them as a part of our community, and uh, what a fantastic prize. Hopefully, everybody stays safe. That's the biggest thing yeah. on Canada Day weekend between the boating and the driving and the all the other crazy stuff that we get into, the fireworks as well. Keep safe out there because, um, well, plain and simply, fireworks are dangerous if they're not handled properly. Well, Greg, uh, you ran out after the just before the newscast to take a peek at the report, the illicit task drug task force report, and uh, what were you able to digest in those few moments? Well, forty five pages, and uh, if you, you scroll, didn't read, you didn't read them all. I did not manage to read them all. Um, it feels like, and this is just at first blush. So forgive me if I'm mischaracterizing this. Uh, in a broad sense, but to me, and based on a brief conversation with our colleagues in the newsroom, this really feels like what should have been the starting point of this task force. The recommendations feel like general suggestions that you might have come up with sitting around a kitchen table, a dining room table, uh, for a couple of hours and said, you know what, what should we do to fix this? The root causes, of course, are of primary concern to a lot of people. But let me list, uh, just let me read uh, four or five of these. It is a recommendation of the illicit drug task force that efforts to educate landlords regarding mechanisms to address problems that impact community and public safety be undertaken and that the systems already in place have sufficient capacity to address requirements in a timely way. A bunch of gobbledygook that really recaps something that we spoke to Sal Burroughs about earlier this week, that there are existing mechanisms under current laws that if you have a concern about a neighbor who is selling drugs, whether it be meth or any other illicit drug, to get them out of their home. There are different things that you can do to get these drug dealers out of the neighborhood. They're going more after the dealers than they are the users. 
That's really what this is saying. So they're listing one thing that already exists, not really telling you how we could use it more efficiently. Here's the next one. Or the next one I'm going to read. Enhance and coordinated promotion of the use of crime stoppers be undertaken, including a featured campaign targeting information on illicit drugs and dealers and funding to support cash rewards for drug tips. Once again, something I think we're already doing. If they are going to ramp up the type of messaging and the type of people that they're looking for and asking for tips about, then I'll give that a a green check mark. The Winnipeg Drug Treatment Court capacity to be expanded. There's a lot of words here, lots of conversation about expansion, increasing, basically doing more or less more of the things that we are already doing. And I apologize if I'm shouting, but I'm just a little bit bothered by the fact that these recommendations feel like they should have been the building blocks, the starting point of this task force, and we should have been coming back with specifics, dollars and cents, the amount of time that uh, we are looking for in order to implement these changes. This just feels like uh, a generalized discussion that has been encapsulated in a formal document. No recommendations made for a safe consumption site. Consensus could not be reached among the members. What do you think about that? Well, I I said to someone in the newsroom, show me a safe consumption site for meth anywhere in the world, and I'll I'll, I'll be really surprised. I'd like to go there and see it myself. A a safe injection site for heroin or other... um, Needle injected drugs is is one thing. Meth is a whole different animal, which is what we're we're learning. And we were supposed to be, I thought, disseminating and admitting and coming up with a plan for with this report. And I I just don't see it. Hey, thanks for listening to the Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on CJOB. Talk soon.